0: You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. All right, so as you turn into your Bibles to John chapter 11, I want to start off telling you about a guy named Takichi Ishii. Takichi was hung for murder in Tokyo in 1918. He'd been arrested on more than 20 occasions and was known for having an unparalleled criminal record. And on one occasion, after attacking prison guards, Takichi was gagged and bound, and his body hung from the rafters in such a way that his toes would barely scrape the ground. But still, Takichi refused to apologize for what he had done. Just before Takichi was sentenced to death, he was visited by two brave Christian missionary women, They tried to come to him and speak to him through his prison bars, but Takichi just growled at him like a savage animal. Seeing they were getting nowhere with him, they left him a Bible, hoping it would succeed where they had failed. And so Takichi started to read the Bible, the Word of God. And having started, he found he couldn't stop. And he read on. He continued to read until he came to the account of Jesus' crucifixion and his attention was riveted by the sentence in Luke 23 where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Ticchi said that his life, later said that his life was transformed by these words of Christ from the cross. I stopped in my tracks, he said. It was like I was stabbed in the heart by a five-inch nail. What had these words done to me? Shall I call it the love of Christ? Shall I call it his compassion? I didn't know what to call it. I only knew that for the first time, with an unspeakably grateful heart, I believed. As Takichi awaited his execution, he went on to say, people must have thought that I had a very remorseful heart because I was daily awaiting my execution, but that just wasn't the case. I felt neither sorrow nor distress nor pain. Listen to this. He said, locked up in my six-by-nine prison cell, I was infinitely happier than every day I'd had in the days of my sinning when I did not know God. Day and night, he said, I talked with Jesus. And I was alive for the first time. Amen. Well, this is one of the countless testimonies of the resurrection power that Jesus Christ brings us to offer eternal life. Jesus called Takichi out of the tomb of his sin-dead life, and he was born again into a new spiritual and eternal life. He'd seen the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, and he'd gotten to know his God. I was infinitely happier, he said, than when I did not know God. Though Takichi was a dead man walking, yet he was alive for the first time. And though he died, yet he still lives on today. No longer was he a condemned man as he went to the gallows. No longer that savage criminal he'd once been. But he'd believed. He'd believed, and he was a new creation. Described by his inmates, get this, described by his inmates as a new, joyful, loving, radiant man of God. Wow. You know, there's this crazy statistic out there that says one out of every one people are going to die. Yeah. Death is certain to come to us all, but I wonder how many of us get to really live and experience this life-transforming resurrection encounter this relationship with Jesus Christ before we die. Well, we're in the 10th week of our study in the Gospel of John, a case to believe. Which brings us to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John where we're going to see the Lord Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And my hope that this morning is you'll see Christ for who he is and believe. And upon believing that you'd have eternal life. Near the end of his book, John gave us the purpose clause for why he wrote his Gospel. In John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 he said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his witnesses, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written... So that you may believe, and that by believing, you'll have eternal life in his name. All through the book, we've seen so far, all through the book, that it's all about Jesus. It's pointed us over and over again to the fact that it's all about Jesus. Fully God and fully man, deity wrapped in flesh. And as we go through this 11th chapter today, we're going to see Jesus' deity and humanity on display again, culminating with this resurrection of Lazarus. And as we go through our text today, we're going to see two reasons behind the miracle, okay? Two reasons we're going to see behind the miracle. The first reason we're going to see is it was to put Jesus' power and glory on display. That's in verse 4. Jesus said, for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. That's the first reason. The second reason was to strengthen the disciples' faith. We're going to see in verse 15, when questioned about not being there when Lazarus died, Jesus said, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. So these are the two reasons behind the miracle to glorify God through Christ and to strengthen the disciples' faith. Now, a sort of a runway into our text today. This whole scene from chapter 11 happens right before Jesus' final Passover, where he'll be slaughtered as the true Passover lamb for the sins of the world. There will be millions of people flooding into Jerusalem from all over the world who will no doubt hear all that Jesus has said and done. And even in the midst of all that, the winds of hostility are ever increasing and raging around Jesus because of the Jews' unbelief. And as we leave the 10th chapter, the religious leaders were ready to stone Jesus to death for blasphemy. Why? Because he claimed to be the Son of God. But every time they plotted to kill him, I love this, Jesus said, my time's not yet, and he just kind of like mysteriously slipped away. Jesus was operating according to God's divine timetable, which climaxed at the cross. So this miracle of raising Lazarus would come near the end of Jesus' public ministry to serve the purpose of, one, the glory of God through Christ, and two, the strength the disciples' faith. Now, a little context. This is the seventh miracle that John records. The first one, Jesus turned water into wine in John 2. In John 4, Jesus healed the nobleman's son. In John 5, he raised the lame man by the pool of Bethesda. In John 6, he multiplied the fish and the loaves to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, and he walked on water. And in case that wasn't enough, chapter 9, he gave sight to a blind man. And just for overkill, let's just raise somebody from the dead in chapter 11. Well, Luke actually records Jesus raised two other people from the dead. The first one was when Jesus raised the, the widow's son at the gate at Nain. And the second one was when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Now the issue with those two, though, was that Jesus raised them right after they died. And with, with Lazarus, we're going to see he's been dead for four days. Now i tell you that because that's a big deal. These Jews had a superstition that the spirit of a deceased person would hover over their body for three days looking for a way to get back in. And after three days, then it departed. So even though the other two resurrections were legitimate miracles, some assume it wasn't miraculous because of this superstition that they had. But with Lazarus being dead four days, there's no doubt. Well, chapter 10 closed with the rejection of the Jews, threatening to kill him in the temple because he claimed to be the Son of God. And that brings us to the 11th chapter today. So first, let's look at the first six verses here and see our characters and our setting. And verses 1 to 6 tell us that Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha who live in a little village called Bethany just outside Jerusalem and Lazarus was sick. Now we don't know the nature of his sickness but verse 4 tells us this sickness Jesus said this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God. So Lazarus is sick and he sends his uh, sisters send a messenger about a day's journey to let Jesus know, hey Jesus the one whom you love is sick. Now the word for love there is the word phileo. It's like Philadelphia, it's human love, it's brotherly, brotherly love, human love, okay? And then in verse 5, the word uh, in verse 5 where Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus, that word for love is the word agape, or agapao, or agape, however you say it from Eastern Kentucky, agape. And it means divine love. So with these two words here, we see both Jesus had this human love and divine love, humanity and deity. Okay? So, <clears throat> when we read that and we see that Jesus had both this human and divine love, what we expect to, to read next in, in uh, verse 6 is that, so Jesus got up and ran as fast as he could to get to Lazarus. But that's not what it says, is it? What's it say? It says he waited two days before going. And we think, well, huh? Well, that's strange. Why does he wait? Well, we know in verse 4, Jesus said, This is for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified by it. That's one reason he waited, and the first reason behind our miracle. Then we come to verses 14 and 15, where Jesus tells the disciples, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, so that you may believe. That's the second reason he waited, and the second reason behind our miracle. So let me ask again. So why do you wait? Why does he wait when... Hard things come. Why does he wait when things look like they're going south and you expect him to come right away? Why does he wait? Why does he wait? Have you ever wondered that? I just want to tell you. Hope in God. He sees the bigger picture. It sure looked hopeless with Lazarus, didn't it? But the Bible tells us he waited for two reasons. For the glory of God through Christ and to strengthen the disciples' faith. So hope in God don't give up. Four days after the sisters sent word to Jesus, in verses 17 to 21, he arrives on the outskirts of Bethany, and Lazarus has now been dead for four days. And remember, that's on purpose. And there's likely hundreds gathered there, in verse 19, many to console the sisters. There's hundreds gathered there to console the sisters. Some of these are professional criers. Now, if you haven't heard about the professional criers, these are people paid to lament the departed on behalf of the family. It's a common Jewish custom. And there's, there's, uh, there's people that are friends and family genuinely grieving there as well. And in verse 21, Martha meets Jesus on the road and he says, Lord, she said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And this is one of those times we wish we could hear Martha's tone or her voice inflection, whether she said it in frustration or as a confession of faith. But Mary had no doubt heard what Jesus said back in John 5, where he said, Very truly, I tell you, that a, uh, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John five twenty four to 25. Has eternal life and will not be ju- judged, but it has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live well, with that in the back of her mind, Martha has this brief discussion with Jesus about the resurrection, but clearly she's not picking up what he's throwing down. So Jesus answers her with his with this zinger here in verse 25 and 26, and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Woo! Do you know anybody else that could say that? Remember, John's intent is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you'd have eternal life. And the reasons behind the miracle, one, is to glorify God through Christ, and two, to strengthen the disciples' faith. So Jesus asked Martha what he asked you and me today. Hey, do you believe? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? Not that he just can raise the dead, but that he is the resurrection Do you believe that he is the life? Not that he just gives life, but he is life. He is life, life itself. Jesus is life, eternal life for all who believe. I mean, this is the crux of the issue, isn't it? Do you believe? Do you? For those who refuse to believe, you should know that the Bible says you are without excuse. If you refuse to believe, it's not because the evidence is not not, uh, enough. The evidence is massive, and I'm, I'm looking at some of it right now. Remember, all this is written so that you might believe unto eternal life. But if you don't believe, then you stand in the same shoes as the Jews who stood there condemned in their unbelief. Well, Martha goes back to get her sister Mary, who runs back and falls at Jesus' feet in verses 32 to 36. And she said the same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she's sobbing. And Martha is sobbing. And the paid criers are sobbing. The friends and family, they're all sobbing. Everybody's crying. Everybody's sobbing. And there stands Jesus, who enters into this mess and sees all this mess. And in verse 33... He's deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. Now try to imagine this. This is an intense moment. Jesus, who is life, is surrounded by people sobbing and wailing over death. And there's all this grief and sadness. And though he's fully God, he's also fully man. Able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. A man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. He feels a far more transcendent pain than we do. I mean, this is a moment of agony in his gut. Nevertheless, what's he do? Jesus enters into their mess and suffering, much like he still does today. Picture it. He's grieved, and he says, verse 34, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, but one of the most profound. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Now to the Greek reader, those two words would have been the most astonishing, that the Son of God would share in the sufferings of the human heart because they assume God is as some kind of absentee landlord, disassociated, uncaring. Where's God in all this suffering? Where's God? Have you ever asked that question? Where's God? Have you ever wept over the loss of a loved one? I have you ever question where God was in suffering? Well, (laughs) he's right here. Moved by his compassion, moved by his love for people, the Son of God wept with those who wept. It rings with the Old Testament story in Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 and 8 where God comes down and says, surely I've seen the afflictions of my people and I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them. Jesus sees all this, the loss of a loved one, the reality of pain that sin and death has brought to the world, the unbelief of the Jews and even in the coming generations, including us here today, who'd feel the same agonizing separations, the pain of separations that sin has caused. And there amidst it all stands one, Jesus, the Son of God, and the Son of Man, and he wept. You feel that? Verse 36, see how he loved him. Jump back to John 11. See how he loved him. Oh, they had no idea how much Jesus loved him. It's still true today. But see it here. The deity of Jesus Christ, fully God, and the humanity of Jesus Christ, God made fully man. Why? Why would he he leave his throne in heaven on high to come and enter into our mess and suffering today? Why? Why? You've heard John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, God so loved you in your sin and suffering, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe on him might not perish, but have eternal life. Why? So that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing you'd have eternal life in his name. Amen. I am the resurrection and the life. Not that he just gives resurrection, not that he just gives life, but I am, he says. This is not a principle. He's a person. It's not a point to be made. He's a person. The resurrection and the life is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And whoever believes on him, they're not going to die. Though they die, they'll live. And whoever lives by believing on him will never die. Do you believe this? Can you see it? Picture yourself there in the crowd. Visualize the scene. Hear his words. I mean, this is an intense moment. And as we approach the climax here, Jesus has just made this incredible statement of a spiritual truth, and now he's going to illustrate it with a physical picture. In John 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. And he made a meal to prove it. In John 9, Ballard taught us last week, he said, I'm the light of the world, and he gave sight to a blind man to prove it. And here in chapter 11, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and now I'm going to do just that to prove it. So Jesus enters into this mess, and upon seeing this pain caused by sin and death, verse 38 to 44, he's deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. Now the word used here is meant to convey an extremely strong emotion, sometimes translated to shudder. Have you ever shuddered with emotion before? It's what Jesus is doing here. He's shuddering with emotion. As the son of God, he's indignant over sin and death and the sorrows it brings the people that he loves so much. See, all this is a picture of what, of what sin has done to the world that God so loved, yet what he's still done to deliver us in spite of that. God so loved the world that he sent his only son into our mess to destroy the works of darkness, 1 John 3 says. And he comes in verse 39 and he says, take away the stone. You know, God's always used people to do what people should do. We can't raise anybody from the dead, but we can roll that stone away. God does what only God can do. Only he can raise the dead. And he commissions us to do what we should do and invites us to join him in his work. Then I love Martha here. Martha, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> For those of you that know the King Jimmy, he stinketh. In those days, the, Jew, the Jews didn't embalm their dead, so burial was immediately after death so as not to contaminate their homes, right? So after four days of death and decay, you can understand Martha's concern. Of course he stinks. But Jesus answers in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. How many of us know that believing in God is not the same thing as believing God and taking Him at His word? Amen. We like to say, yes, Lord, I know you said you're the resurrection and the life. Yes, Lord, I know you said you're the Son of God and the Son of Man. And yeah, I kind of believe that, but that's a big jump from believing that this dead guy's going to walk out of that tomb right now. Woo. You've heard that saying before, seeing is believing? I think Jesus would contest that here and say, actually believing is seeing. I mean, that's what he told Thomas in John 20, right? He says, "You believe because you see? Blessed are those that believe without seeing." It goes on verse 41. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I've said this out loud, so that these others may believe. Again, this is John's purpose, so that you might believe. And after he'd said this in verse 43, Jesus yelled with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Oh, man, could you imagine being there, hearts pounding, holding your breath? Imagine being being there as one of his disciples standing shoulder to shoulder with him when Jesus tells this dead guy to come out of the tomb and trying to peek into the darkness to see what happens next. I mean, this is a big moment. This is a huge moment. You know why it's a huge moment? Because if Lazarus doesn't come out of that tomb, then you've got no hope. We've got no hope. But... When Lazarus comes out of that tomb, woo! That just changes everything, doesn't it? Just imagine this—you could probably hear a pin drop when suddenly, in verse forty-four, the dead man came out. Oh. Do you hear that? The dead man came out. I mean, he was dead. He was four days dead, and Jesus brought him to life by His word. What do you think he looked like? Did he still stinketh? Could he talk? Can you picture witnessing all this? Then Jesus says, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Oh man, I would love to have been there. Can you even imagine what was going through Lazarus' mind when he walked out of that tomb? Was his life ever the same again? Was he ever afraid to die again? I could picture Lazarus, Lazarus fresh out of the grave singing, Oh, grave, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Jesus has led captivity captive. He's conquered sin, death, and Satan. Revelation 1.18 says, And he holds the keys of death, hell, and Hades. And on this day, he proves yet again that he alone is the Son of God and the Son of Man. And there is no other. That's right. But yet, to call Lazarus out of that tomb was to put himself in that tomb. See, all these signs were pointing to the greater resurrection, the greater life, the greater miracle. You see it? The cave tomb, the stone rolled away, the prayer, the grave clothes... Jesus knew that with all these witnesses their news would spread fast and lead to his own death. He knew that to enter into the sufferings of his people, that it would cost him his life in this world. But the end result of his death is our life, eternal life for all who believe. You see, don't you, how much like Lazarus we are? How much like Lazarus we are? The Apostle Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 6, And you... You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, raised, <laughs> woo, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved through faith and raised us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, that ought to get an amen out of somebody. Jesus has called you and me forth out of death and released us from our grave clothes. It was Christ who entered into our world of suffering. And it was Christ's death that would be the death of death. His life for your life. See, death and separation were never part of God's intentions for you. Which is another reason Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness. God hates sin and death and the suffering and hardship it brings the people he loves. And when he entered into our suffering, he himself suffered more than we'll ever imagine. Why? 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 What's the two reasons behind the miracle? To glorify God through Christ, to strengthen your faith, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believe unto eternal life. And Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. Mike, come forth. Aaron, come forth. Judy, come forth. Alice, come forth. Do you hear him calling you? His, call, his command comes with the same kind of power as that creation when he said, let there be light, and there was light. And in the same way, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we who are dead in our trespasses and sins were called out of the grave by the one who is the resurrection and the life. And he's raised us to life with Christ. Amen. We who were bound in the grave clothes of sin, dead to spiritual matters, He makes alive by His Word and by His Spirit. See, this is a picture or a microcosm of all of us who've been born again to a new life in Christ. We weren't just deaf and blind and mute to spiritual matters. We were dead, hopelessly dead. And the dead can't raise themselves. Just think about Lazarus after being raised from the dead. I wonder if his mindset was like that of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's, who said in Philippians 1.21, Hey, for me, to live as Christ... To die is gain. What do you do with that kind of Christ confidence? Some of you have heard this before I've talked to. But picture this. They're telling Paul, 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 we're going to put you in chains. You can chain me, but the word of God can't be chained. Paul, we're going to beat you and make you suffer. I consider the sufferings of this world not to be compared with the glories to come. Paul, we're going to chop your head off and kill you. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. What do you do with that kind of Christ confidence? He was unstoppable. He was unstoppable. And I want to ask you today, church, do you believe like this? Are you convinced? Are you persuaded of your eternal life in the Lord Jesus? Are you? Do you believe? Because only in receiving him for who he is can you have what he has. That's what Jesus is asking us today. Mike, do you believe? Bill, do you believe? John, do you believe? Kelly, do you believe? Do you believe? It's one thing to believe in God. The demons believe in God and tremble. But it's another thing completely to believe God and take Him at His word. We need a resurrection that we cannot do for ourselves. We don't need a principle. We need a person, the person, the person of Jesus Christ. For whoever believes, he says, has already crossed over from death to life. Has he not called your name? Have you left the grave yet? Are you free from your grave clothes of sin? Are you a partaker of the divine nature? If not, why not? And why not today? What's dead in your life that needs to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? And I mean, shouldn't you be able to see the difference? You can see the difference between dead Lazarus and living Lazarus. Shouldn't you be able to see the difference between somebody void of the Spirit of God and dead in their sins versus somebody alive in Christ, full of the Spirit? Shouldn't you be able to see that? And shouldn't that difference be as much as the difference between heaven and hell? Between life and death? Maybe, maybe like the difference they saw in Tokichi Ishii. Have you experienced the same resurrection life Takichi did? Can others see that difference in you? The Gospel of John was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you'd have eternal life. It all centers on Jesus. Who's this Jesus? Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a growing, yearning, longing relationship with Him? I want to invite us all today, whoever you are, wherever you are, to come to him for life. Jesus himself said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they would know me. Eternal life, that they would know me. What step do you need to take towards him today? Has he not called you out of death and into life? Have you believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have you made Him your personal Lord and Savior? Because if you haven't, you should know the Bible says you are without hope in this life and in the next. So I want to call each of you to respond to a response today. If you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. His love is stronger than your sin, deeper than your sorrow, and mightier than death. The grave couldn't hold him, and neither will it hold you, if the same spirit that rose him from the dead abides in you. Amen. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Paul said in Romans 10 that if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Christ, then we will be saved. And I know, Lord, there's some here who have yet to believe and some yet to confess. God, I pray that you'd move upon our hearts today, calling us from death to life. And with that same spirit that rose Christ from the grave, that we'd all hear you calling us and believe with a bolder, more confident faith, a strengthened faith unto eternal life. So as we respond to your call, May we behold the glory, your glory in the face of Christ Jesus with a strength and faith and know that you and you alone are God, our resurrection, our life, and our hope. For Jesus' sake, amen. Woo! Just a few short years ago, Christ called me out of death and into life. He resurrected me out of a tomb of darkness where I'd been dead 30 years, enslaved to my sins serving worthless idols and powerless gods who who always promised so much but never delivered. You've been there. But then I met Jesus. But then I met Jesus and I believed and Jesus made me a new creation and he gave me eternal life where every day near to him has been better and better. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life for all who believe you ask me how I know he lives I know he lives because he lives in me he walks with me and he talks with me and he calls me his friend what about you? what about you? are you ready to join the men and women of God who are willing and persuaded and convinced to live like they believe this? If you're ready to take that step of faith towards Him and believe, uh, there'll be brothers and sisters out here who uh, would love to pray with you. Won't you come?